welcome to the FE Research Podcast, a podcast that aims to showcase the practitioner inquiry, scholarship and research being carried out within further education. Perhaps it's it's okay for them to not necessarily understand um, what practitioner research can do for a, pra- a practitioner of English or maths or childcare or plumbing on the ground. Maybe it's it's just good for them to know that it can be beneficial for that individual and that it will help them get somewhere that they're not at the minute and the place Mm. they'll get to will be better for them, their students and their colleagues. Hello and welcome to FE Research Podcast. My name is Joe Fletcher-Saxon and my partner in crime is... It's Alistair Smith. Hello, Joe. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. Um, how how are things at Smith Towers? Oh, hey, we've got two Smiths tonight. But how are things at Alistair Smith Towers? Um, well, you know, we, we've um, we've been having germs bouncing around Smith Towers. Luckily, nothing too nasty. Mm. But uh, or I think it's that time of the year where the, the kids bring all the the sniffles back from school. Yeah. Otherwise, that's... all good. Oh, good, good to hear. Okay, then. So um, tonight we have our next special guest for. 2022 in fact we don't even know what order this will go out in but uh, we have with us uh, Dr Michael Smith from Barking and Dagenham College he is director of teaching learning and innovation at the college and he's also he's also someone who contributes to the Sunset program uh, which is the ETF funded Sunderland University program for practitioner researchers so I know we can assume people know that but also not everybody does so uh Welcome to the podcast, Michael. How are you? Hello. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Alistair. Yeah, it's, uh, it's terrific to be here. And thank you for the invitation. And um, I'm very well. Thank you. Good. Good. OK, well, look, we'll get started. And I'm going to hand over to Alistair, who's going to ask you the first batch of questions. Certainly. We've got to get stuck straight in, Michael, with you telling us a little bit about yourself, because, of course, uh, there's some, some new roles and, and slight changes going on. So um, tell, us, tell us about that. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, um, yes, where to start, really? So um, I've uh, I've worked at Barking and Dagenham College for uh, about eight years, and it's uh, it's a general FE college in East London. Uh, terrific college. Um, and often, you know, say I wouldn't have um, stayed there as long as I have if I, if I didn't really enjoy it, didn't love the people and the place and the students and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I started there as an English teacher and um have eventually kind of somehow ended up in this position that i'm in um looking at things teaching and learning related and staff development related um things around quality assurance and improvement and um all that kind of stuff curriculum design development um and the ilk so yeah that's in respect to the uh the bark and the dagnum role and as joe um mentioned as well I've, i've been lucky enough to contribute to the the Sunset Practitioner Research Programme and uh, working with Maggie Gregson and Trish Bedding and the team, you know, phenomenal people, phenomenal academics and um, and helping develop and drive research in the sector through that programme and, and beyond as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're here to probably talk research, among other things, uh, this evening. And um, I've been very fortunate to not long after I joined the college and about 2013, 2014, I, I got involved in that program as a, as a student teacher. Um, at the time that was kind of my first involvement with the PRP. 
and um yeah it's it's kind of blossomed from there both you know be becoming interested in research learning about research what that means as a teacher but also now in a position to hopefully help others develop themselves as researchers and um and gain confidence in research and uh undertake meaningful work in their practice so yeah it's been an interesting journey and um and one that you know hopefully has a you know a bit more to come as well it's it's you know very exciting to be honest um uh, you said there about the PRP, and just just to clarify, that's the Practitioner Research Program, isn't it? And, yeah, we'll uh, try and avoid the dodgy acronyms. That's like a, you know, it's. Well, you, uh, can, you can use it again now. With, <laughs> but, yeah, yes, indeed, indeed. Good to but, clarify that. Yeah, PRP, Practitioner Research Program. So, so where did you start with that program with with Sunset? Did was it the MA short course you did, or did you jump into the the? Full yeah, program? it was. It was what was called the. I think it was called the RDF workshop and this was pre MA short course, very similar model. Um, so to give a bit of background about that, my colleague and I, my colleague, Paul Roberts, who uh, was a mentor for me when I, when I joined the college eight years ago, uh, also taught English. He, um, he was, yeah, we, we, in fact, we were, contacted by a manager or kind of informed by a manager at the time uh, her name was Tinyan and she herself had been on this program something like 2010 2011 worked with Maggie and Trish at the time uh, on, on undertaking her own research program and, and um, she supported Paul and I you know putting forward an application and um, yeah we this was at the time so this was 2014 the GCSE English and maths reform was just about coming in so this was when um, the the condition of funding was changing and GCSEs were going to be a qualification in the sector it was a scary time I mean a lot of people re will remember this mm -hmm. um, there was so much unknown um, and we wanted to go and uh, obviously you know change the world and <laughs> try and improve things as you do lofty ambitions <laughs> naive and um, Full of bravado as as we uh as we might be in these kind of situations but we were lucky enough in putting forward an application to be accepted onto that program um and we we wanted to look at assessment practice that was the thing that interested us we were we were using initial assessments um we were using software i'm not going to name the software but we were using software that's still still quite ubiquitous in the sector now not my favorite um, Do you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. I think it was cat. Yeah, it was, it was that kind of thing. Yeah, computer assess, assess. Which, uh, or, Do you yeah. know what? I've never heard of it, but I read an article that you wrote in 2015 today. Oh, is that so, Joe? It oh, is. And it, and funnily enough, um, I was, I just noted down a little, little phrase that you'd put in there about microcosms of innovation, and here you are seven years later with that in your title well yes indeed what <laughs> what can i say <laughs> I'll, I'll stop interfering now carry on Alistair. no no that's that's, um, that's useful really it's um <laughs> the yeah the, the assessment practice what 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 we were doing was dispiriting and we might look around us in in uh, our everyday work as teachers or in whatever role we might have um, and we might see things that we want to change. And the, the research uh, project that Paul and I undertook was a bit of a galvanizing kind of 
driving force we had the bit between our teeth and we wanted to go and kind of take on the system and say this isn't how it should be done this is how it could be done and what we learned when we got there is you're not trying to in conducting research you're not trying to develop a solution that's something that we all naturally i think initially at least with research want to get to what's the solution how do we fix the problem but of course what we under understood in getting there was that we didn't really understand the problem <laughs> and um that that made for a fascinating six months in exploring that more deeply and thinking about um what were we trying to assess you know english is a, is a complex set of things um and it needed a bit more time and, and forethought and stuff and better understanding what we were doing and not, not just jumping to conclusions and saying this isn't working helped us to i think hopefully get to a position where we could have something a bit more useful you know and meaningful um so yeah sorry that's a kind of roundabout way of saying that's how i got involved in the practitioner research uh, program so that that's where it started but but of yeah. course um you know joe called you doctor that means you got all the way there um how how did that research change from those initial kind of thinkings even you know the like you say that the naivety of of thinking you know that we want to change everything how did that evolve into your kind of final phd did, did any of that link in or change yeah, the, the way you thought there's this there's been this thread i suppose throughout my research in um initially looking at assessment and thinking about how we assess students understanding when they first come in uh to study with us that initial and diagnostic assessment um and then following completion of the the ma short course it was always something that i was thinking of in my practice talking to colleagues about reading about and whatnot i went on to do a master's degree uh ucl kind of following the that ma short course it gave me mm -hmm. a, a starting point on the and it spurred me on really it, it lit the fire and i wanted to go on and do more on completing the uh the masters the mphil program was developed um, and the timing was right and I saw the opportunity to apply. So I thought, I'm, I'm going to do it. Um, I'll, I'll kind of throw my hat in the ring. Assessment was still something I wanted to better understand. But, it, you know, English teacher and me, we, we'd kind of looked at the initial diagnostic assessment. The, the biggest problem we were having at the time was the, uh, the workload, I suppose, the marking burden. Um, yeah every teacher of every subject thinks they've got it the hardest with um with marking you know like the amount of marking that he's doing but i'm gonna i'm gonna try and represent english teachers here and say well, they do have it the worst there's so much marking it's like a deluge you do a mock exam and then there's um you know there's pages and pages of, of marking that he's doing anyway similar similar story as before i thought i had the solution you know i've, I've got this um Oh, I'd read about this uh, piece of software um, called No More Marking that gives you a kind of idea of what they were pitching <laughs> yeah. at. And I was like, oh my God, this sounds amazing. So put the proposal together, submitted it and whatnot. And um, yeah, they went on to explore how, well, it, it changed, of course, research of, of this kind of um type always changes from its initial point what i what i started with was trying to make teachers lives easier and reducing the the amount of time it might take to mark something what i ended with i suppose um, you know over the course of the um the research journey is 
appreciating that assessment practice is really complex and um, there's all these ambiguities that sit within when you're trying to mark something there's a reason it takes a long time <laughs> and that you need to collaborate with others um, mm -hmm. in order to yeah in order to you know kind of scale the mountain um, and he went off in lots of different directions into things like tacit knowledge and what Roy Sadler would call guild knowledge what what is good quality work it sits within us um you know this idea of tacit understanding that's beyond articulation um and looking at things like assessment standards and challenging them what do we mean by and i'll take an example from the aqa creative writing assessment standards students use um a student's writing is clear you know what what's clear to you and i is different to a student it's different to your colleague that sits opposite you all, all sorts of really interesting and challenging kind of ideas that meant what i'd arrived you know with i want to try and solve this marking challenge actually evolved into something else and it, to be honest it'd be far more interesting and valuable because you know what was initially quite shallow i suppose became this deep-rooted philosophical milieu you know it was it was great i mean it, Best, one of the best things I've ever had the privilege of being able to do my professional life um, that that research um, and being supported all, all the way by Maggie and the team as well you know fantastic I think that's it you you just used a, a great word there which was valuable um, and we often hear people talk about um, research in terms of uh, you know uh, change or impact or anything else there but but actually I'm more interested in you explaining where that value comes from so so how did it become valuable to you yeah i mean selfishly I, it's valuable to me and i the the value the value is something i feel you know in in me that there's a there's a pride in what i was able to do um represent the voices of my colleagues um represent the voices of my students as well in talking about their um their perceptions of the work that they had done you know we were looking at creative writing and, and talking to them about that um i suppose that first and foremost was you know that that sat right up there i think value beyond that was being able to um well i you know i'd like to say that it, it led to a, this huge overhaul in practice and that it improved things and um and, and whatnot and i think incrementally that was the case on a small scale um but it would it would be improper of me to misrepresent it and say that it was you know this brand new innovation you know microcosm of innovation or or, or you know larger than a microcosm it, it, it was far from that really um what the research afforded me the opportunity to do was engage in really rich meaningful dialogue with my colleagues and you know that's not just my words it's stuff that they share themselves about their, you know, their how they became to be an English teacher and um, how they trained to be, you know, the training they undertook, the expertise that they've developed as a result, and how that affects their day to day practice. So I, I think the, you know, the value comes. Yeah, it takes lots of forms, I suppose, and um, it's it's in those interactions and, and stuff, because otherwise, I think without the research, that wouldn't wouldn't have happened necessarily. Okay, well, I like that. Um, and and I suppose that the next one really on here 
uh, and it can be quite difficult with such a large project, especially when you, you describe it as going all over the place there. But what did you take from it in terms of sort of key findings or conclusions from the study? Oh, you're testing me now. I should I should have raised my thesis <laughs> before. And yeah, so um, what what can I say in terms of findings? Well, when if if we take this notion of um, assessment standards, or, or, okay, let's let's pair it back a bit. When we look at a piece of work, let's say it's a, a painting that a student's completed, mm-hmm. we um, we'll have assessment standards if we're assessing against qualification and and they'll define what good looks like. We need to, as teachers, engage with those standards and have an understanding of what they mean and then apply our our judgment as to how that student has performed or or whatnot. You know, we we have um, a system that's fascinated with kind of pinning performance on the donkey, you know, to borrow a very crude phrase. So we, in respect of findings, if, if we take that as, you know, as the kind of background, in respect of findings, what it says is that when we're doing this and we're looking at assessment criteria, whether we're looking at um, a photograph, painting, a piece of creative writing, a um, piece of welding that students have, have completed, we, we don't actually refer to assessment standards. This is what I found talking to my colleagues, and I, I think, although I don't know, and I wouldn't overextend the findings, but I, I think that that this applies in, in lots of disciplines. Um, we, we have an innate understanding of what good looks like. Um, I mean, you could apply the same principle to lesson observations. There'll be standards and criteria because the, ses- the, the system almost necessitates that they exist because otherwise things would fall apart, wouldn't they? But of yeah. course, that's not the case. And we if we have these innate um tacit understandings of what good looks like they've they've come about somehow through collaboration cooperation dialogue over a period of time you know this generation accumulation of expertise this you know that notion of guild knowledge that i mentioned earlier this concept by roy sadler his work on formative assessment this kind of underpins underpins that but what we need to do is get together and talk about that and share our our, our kind of uh, co-constructed meanings of what a piece of work actually is you know in terms of quality um and not be defined by and inhibited by in some instances assessment standards that that, that was the kind of big picture finding mm. um there was also a nod to in my research, the, the benefit of doing this with students, because students have this perennial challenge to, to become expert in something that they're not yet expert in. Mm-hmm. And we need to draw that out through things like dialogue and modeling and, and whatnot, and um, showing them assessment criteria and saying, you need to be more that, you need to do more of that. You know, it's like saying, to me, quite frankly, it's like showing me a, a video of Pavarotti and saying, sing like that guy. And I'm like, well, I might need to have a conversation with him first. I mean, I couldn't now, could I? But sadly, but um, I need to I need to get 
a sense of his understanding the world. I mean, there's no hope of me being an opera singer anyway. It's a terrible <laughs> analogy. But but we we might as well be talking a foreign language to students if we're just showing things like assessment yeah. criteria without you know breaking down some of the the underlying bits and pieces. Yeah, that that's very similar to uh, every time a student asks me if they can see an example of a good one. I'm like, well, I can show you, but that that's not you and it's not yours. So it it's a million miles away. I think that's the same kind of thing, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. about those individualized, personalized journeys that, that are a big part of it. Um, have you have you done much to disseminate these findings, Michael? Yes, yeah, so I was um I was lucky enough to um be supported throughout my study by my college uh by my manager and it's work that i've shared at the college not not as a kind of how to guide as to how to teach you know how to assess 101 it's mm -hmm. it's far from that it's very much in the spirit of sharing the journey um that i was on in respect to the research and some of the background and then you know just just i suppose inviting people into that space and and sharing the the work and letting them think about their practice in respect to those findings and what I was putting forward. So uh, having had the opportunity to do that and had conversations with colleagues, I know it's, it's um, prompted lots of interesting discussions. Um, I've had um, an invitation or I had an invitation, sorry, to, uh, to write, I'm checking the title of the, uh, the book now, write in, um, a chapter in a, a publication practice focused research in further education further adult and vocational education sorry so that was edited by Maggie Gregson and Trish Spedding um, so that was a kind of um, a condensed version I suppose of the research focusing on one aspect of it um, and presented at um, ETF conference as well and, and whatnot so yeah, I mean, the, the PRP, the Practitioner Research Programme, is excellent in terms of dissemination, and that's the whole kind of wraparound that it affords the, um, the researchers that are on programme um, that, that is so important and so valuable. Um, so, yeah, all of those opportunities really have come about through the, the Practitioner Research Programme and credit to it. I think you've mentioned all the way throughout as well, you know, you started off by saying and quite selfishly, I wanted to, um, but now you're saying, but it's great because it's disseminated. So it's got that kind of nice balance between there's something for you in your classroom, but, but also being able to, to share that. Um, and, and that's certainly come across. So we like to throw in a bit of a, a sort of fun question, not too serious. And you might need to take a second to think about it. Um, but um, we've all got some thoughts that, that happen around this in education. Michael, you said that like right at the beginning with the, the changes in, in the GCSE, um, as you were starting your research, you know, you, everyone has some thoughts and opinions on things like that. Our fun question is, if you meet the Secretary for State for Education or Minister for Education, however you want to say it, in the lift and you have just a few minutes between floors, what might you say to them to grab their attention and have some impact? well yeah opportunities abound how how what floor am i going to how long do i have oh you you've got you've got a good sort I'm, of i'm uh, buying time here you know <laughs> you've got a good 45 seconds in here michael to uh, to try and grab some attention with some headline thoughts well i mean it's an interesting question i think i'd have to i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna play home and not away i'm gonna stick to what i know if i'm in the lift with you you know i could go down all sorts of avenues and possibilities mm -hmm. but i think right i've got 45 seconds or thereabouts oh, 
I'd really make the plea uh, and the case for practitioner research and the, um, I was going to say value then, but I'll be very careful with my language. But it, I think what I'd like to get across is the importance of professional development for teachers that, that is led by teachers, driven by teachers. Um, that means something to teachers. And I can speak only really from my own personal experience, but as someone that's been lucky enough to engage in research through supportive means on, on different programmes, that's something that we as a as a country could do more to support and fund i think um and we um we have we're lucky enough to have um formal structures that are funded you know mm -hmm. programs such as the practitioner research program but thinking of the boundless number of grassroots movements i mean we might include this very podcast in in that um and these things happen because research matters and research is important. Sometimes I think these things happen in spite of the conditions um, that we find ourselves in. And huge credit goes to the people that make these things happen. Um, so I think that would be my pitch that we need to um, we need to open up more opportunities for these things to be um implemented you know made sustainable appropriately resourced um with all that said i'm, I'm now thinking maybe we don't want you know we don't want them to get hold of it yeah <laughs> because they're all the hidden nasties that come with it um you know slightly tongue-in-cheek but you know sometimes things are best left grassroots and we'd out. like we'd like all of those things but but without the interference and the measuring um <laughs> I think we could support you on that one. Anyway. How do we know the value, Alistair? That's the problem. <laughs> yes, indeed. Perceived value, yes. Well, we could have a discussion about it and uh, decide where those standards standards lie. I'm sure you could put together a good argument, Michael. Anyway, <laughs> I shall pass over to Joe for her questions. Thank you. Oh, I, I, I thought you'd go down the GCSE. I thought you'd be having a chat to the minister about GCSE resets or something. So, yeah. Okay. Um, right. You've mentioned a few times research journey. You've said you've used that phrase. Well, um, I think for Alistair and I, <laughs> methodology has been the turning point for us. I say turning point could be crisis point, depends, you know, um, in terms of like challenge and focus and so on. So what was it for you? What, you know, where, where did you face challenge during your PhD journey? And what advice would you give to those starting out? Yes, I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll kind of take myself back to summer 2019, I think it might have been. So um, I'm not a very good student. I'm quite an, I'm an engaged student, I suppose, um, and an interested student, at least in what I'm, what I'm looking to study and learn about. Um, I'm not maybe the most disciplined, and I'm constantly bowled over by people that can uh that, that find ways to build in um opportunities to do you know an hour a week or, or regiment their regiment themselves that that is just amazing to me uh because i <laughs> i'm like the exact opposite of that and um yeah summer 2019 i found myself in a bit with with a bit of a, a kind of word count deficit shall we say 
from where I needed to be to where I was. So purely from a practical point of view, if you're doing a PhD, you're writing 70,000 words, maybe 80,000 words, and you're going to have to write them all. Every single word is going to, you know, come out of your fingers through uh, through some means, or maybe you're going to speak it if you've got one of those clever programs that, that type for you. But um, you're, you're going to have to get there yourself. Um, and what I had to do in summer 2019 was basically take two weeks off work, which was lucky because it was summer and I could do that. Um, and I had to set myself a word count limit every single day to write the blooming thing. This was like chapters three and four, I think. Um, so I could be offering some, you know, really thoughtful advice that's given people, you know, how to crack methodology. But, you know, the reality of it is with a PhD, you've got to write the blooming thing. And I had to, I had to be disciplined where I hadn't been up to that point. I hadn't ever really been disciplined. Um, but I managed to do it. And every day I wrote at least a thousand words and it meant at the end of the, the two weeks, I, I'd done like two solid chapters of six that you're going to have overall. Mm. And I looked back at the end of that and thought, blooming hell, it's maybe going to need a bit of reworking and tweaking and editing. But I blooming wrote that mm. and I got there. And, you know, I, I don't know if this is a lesson for others. Don't do what I did or or give it a crack. I think there, there's, there's lots of different ways you can approach this kind of thing. That worked for me because I fully immersed myself in it. I mean, I was in the shower writing this thing. If I wasn't typing, it was being typed in my head. I remember going out for um, a meal with my cousin and I was talking to her about methodology and I was talking to her about epistemology and she was going, wow, but I'm sure she was thinking, what, what, what am I doing here? Why did I say I go out to dinner with you? I mean, I, I was like living, breathing it for two weeks. I guess that suited me. Um, you know, it, it got me there in the end because having at the end of that, I kind of looked back and thought, okay, so I, I can do this. Um, and I've got a huge kind of tranche of it done, written. Um, mm. So, yeah, that, yeah. How, <laughs> I'm going to ask how, I, you know, you've invited me on your podcast. So I want to know how you guys are doing. Mm. Am I allowed to do that? Am I allowed <laughs> I, to send I, a question back? I, you can I think ask. I'm we might from, edit it out. <laughs> I think I'm from the, uh, the, the Michael Smith camp of working. I think um, we both are. We both are. We were looking to you for inspiration. I do find, um, yeah, there are people who did, do dedicated mounts each each day but i need to be in the flow and and there for for quite a period of time so those blocks of time are definitely better for me i looked back at um what i'd written when we were on the last residential and i quite impressed myself i could not believe that but that's because we've been totally absorbed in it and so i think that's for me that's what i need to be so i keep booking little um writing retreats so that's the way i'm doing it yeah, yeah. and how about you alistair um i'm i'm having to work in those blocks um but those blocks are kind of fitting around um anytime i can escape if i say the routine so you get in the routines of the the kind of family life you know the, the taking the kids to the dance class and, and whatever on the saturday but if i can flip that round so i've got a saturday where i'm not doing those things and i can just take some time out um or we're fortunate enough to have a, a little caravan we can escape to and, and maybe have a day where i can just 
sit and, and write and attack it then I'm, I'm kind of more of that way of, of working um but at the same time I've found bolts of inspiration at, at sort of 10 o'clock at night and I've sat writing till 1am because it it's in the flow and it's going so you know but there's no there's no routine I admire people who can do that mm, mm. right well <laughs> I've got to take the opportunity there there's a, a relevant tangent I can make a very quick one here mm. so you've both mentioned flow about being in the flow and yeah, this mm. concept one one rule I mean it speaks to all of us and it's a really uh it's a really graceful metaphor really to, to talk about a feeling that's quite hard to articulate that's something that came up in my research students would talk about good good writing and teachers in fact as well good good creative writing flows really well that's the kind of standard that we talk about you know you've got tacit understanding of what a good piece of creative writing looks like that's the kind of language we use metaphor to talk about good creative writing that's why assessment standards sometimes trip themselves up because you can't use metaphor they have to be really bland and mm. black or white you know whereas um real life is figurative isn't it mm-hmm. so anyway sorry irrelevant tangent i'd take that opportunity because you're both yeah. expertly drawing upon that metaphor of flow <laughs> um as we all do all the time um not the question i've got written down but um something that's come to mind so You've mentioned guild, you've mentioned tacit knowledge, etc. So I've been reading or I've started reading the Craftsman Senate. Mm. Now, in a little bit I've written, um, no, I'll try to write a bit about it. Um, I've been reading about, let me get this right. He talks about there is a need for, it's in the bit about, it's all about expertise. There is a need for organisations to be absolutely explicit about high standards okay now I'm thinking well in a college the way we would normally do that is is in part through CPD right Mm. but then I think that drives you to that quite um performative do things this way do things that way form of CPD and that's quite a contrast with practitioner research which is about autonomy self-driven inquiry so if we don't want standards to slip, how can we how can we create space for this kind of empowering professional learning then in organisations? That's a very long question. But what do you think? No, it's, it's a great question. Just Can you just share with us that Senate quote again? Um, it's about, it's in, it's in the chapter about quality driven something or other, and it's mm. about expertise. So that it's, it's, he says there's a need to be absolutely explicit about standards. I think it's taking the idea that we we have experts and then the experts start to tell us all how to do things and then people don't own their own expertise. They just are expected to do it a certain way. Well, then standards slip. You've got to understand it. So he, he says you've got to, you know, you've got to be really explicit about standards, the how, the why, the what. I think that's what he's saying. I could yes. be making that up. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so how does that? And I'm thinking, right, well, as a college then, we're always going on about standards. The way we do that is like a certain type of CPD, but to me that contrasts with practitioner research and that inquiry and doing things your own way. There's a really interesting relationship um, held between within an organisation, affording people agency and empowerment and go away and understand your practice, study your practice and you know, playing the sandpit, and that's not that's not a kind of um, you know, it sounds flippant, but it's not 
um, understand what's happening around you better on one hand, but then on the other hand, so, you know, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? What's the impact of it? An impact with these, you know, these very specific uh, kind of measures applied. So how do we do that? Yes. I mean, the first thing that came to mind, Joe, when you shared that quote is we need to be explicit, or Senate says we need to be explicit with standards. But I wonder if we need to, so sometimes we, we can model standards hmm. through our behaviour. We can um, we can embody standards through our um, our manner, our conduct, the qualities, values that we exhibit, hold um, you know true to ourselves, hold others to account to these kind of things. So standards don't necessarily need to be a kind of um, five five pithy statements on a poster all around college necessarily. Um, the point is is a valid one though that that kind of the, the dichotomy between the two so how can we do it well I think speaking from experience you know I'm, I'm in a position now where professional development professional learning is something that um, kind of falls into my my remit but it's also something that that's really important to me and I try and open up spaces I mean it sounds a bit cliche doesn't it open up spaces but I think amidst the you know the the, the conditions that already exist within the college, you know, the, the necessity of a certain number of CPD hours being completed by individuals, that, that kind of um, construct remains because there's a whole legacy that, that sits, you know, a, a whole history that sits there. But aside from that, you know, in addition to that, we can open up spaces where people can maybe um, have freedom and are afforded the opportunities to begin to you know to undertake these journeys and they are journeys i know trish trish on the practitioner research program always calls the idea of research journey a hackneyed metaphor that kind of rings mm. in my mind mm. um whenever i whenever i talk about it but it you know it's true all the same that um when we're conducting research take research as one mode of professional development we want to champion mm. we all have to start somewhere and we can't know the destination so it's not like after a 30 minute workshop, you can write down what your research is going to be, what's going to happen as a result within X number of months. And this is how it's going to impact the QAR or how it's going to improve attendance. That is just not in the spirit of it. Mm. So if we can afford people, first of all, the, the, the space, the time and the expertise to understand that, you know, come kind of come out of the system and, and think longer and think differently um then we're in a good space you know it's something that we've uh, we've started trialing at the college i'm at but it's very early early stages and i'm always interested to talk to colleagues um you know that work in other institutions about how they're doing this because it's not lost on them mm. how you know the importance of this and what it can do for people what it means to people but there is no um, silver bullet. It's what makes it such a fascinating prospect, you know, yeah. to try and yeah. resolve. Well, well, thanks for letting me throw that in there. I sort of rehearsed my thinking there, so it's <laughs> quite handy. Um, look, I'll ask you something I've actually got written down. Um, 
uh, I just wondered what your view, you're right, there's lots of grassroots activity um, and there are formal funded programs now around practitioner research. I would say probably a bigger majority of lecturers, teachers here wouldn't be aware of those, of both of those. Um, but I'm just wondering what, to what degree do you think leaders in the sector are, are engaging with research or, you know, encouraging a research culture in their organisations? Oh, it's a good question. I, I, I can speak to my impressions of this, um, but they, they're not representative of, of the sector as a whole. I think, um, you know, I only know what I know in terms of people I've worked with and people I've spoken to, but I, I don't think leaders have a, a kind of appreciation of um, or an understanding or perhaps dare I say an interest I don't say that you know I kind of whisper mm. that but in in um, practitioner research in the same way that um, advocates of big research would maybe look at practitioner research and say well I'm not sure about that so big big research would be um, kind of big data big qualitative um, pieces of research meta-analyses and whatnot um, kind of chalk and cheese against more practitioner-focused individual classroom, you know, classroom-centric uh, research. And I, I think not not to not to discredit them or anything or or um, disparage their understanding of of um, what improvement looks like in the sector. But I think leaders, senior leaders in the sector, very often they have to operate at a very high level, and that naturally removes them from the grassroots of the classroom um you know it it's um it's a different ecosystem it's like a it's like a mm. different prospect altogether perhaps it's it's okay for them to not necessarily understand um what practitioner research can do for a, pra a practitioner of english or maths or childcare or plumbing on the ground maybe it's it's just good for them to know that it can be beneficial for that individual and that it will help them get somewhere that they're not at the minute and the place mm -hmm. they'll get to will be better for them their students and their colleagues yeah oh okay um right we'll move on to something slightly different um I, i'm uh, well <laughs> my book pile is growing and yet i am going to ask <laughs> You know, as director of teaching and learning and innovation, you know, what should we all be reading right now? Oh, okay. Well, you've naturally got me looking at my uh, my stack of books here. So one one book that um, that comes to mind is um, we're talking about metaphor earlier. Um, it's something that I'm really really interested in. Um, and have been for a long time, you know, since I did a degree in English way back. But um, Lakoff and Johnson, uh, they wrote 1980, I'm trying to think of the blooming title of it now, um, Metaphors We Live By. Oh. So Metaphors We Live By is, is a book that is partly methodological in nature, but it's also... Um, tackling the the you know tackling the notion of metaphor and explaining how how kind of 
prevalent it is. So to give a very brief synopsis, it's born of this methodological underpinning or it touches on this methodological underpinning that says that we are um, we exist in an interpretivist paradigm. That's, you know, that's and um, relationships are interpretivist. And as such, the way in which we use language um, is hugely important. And we use metaphors all the time, all the time in everyday speech, and it constructs our reality. Um, and we often think of language as, as quite, I don't know, may, maybe language before this works anyway was portrayed as, as a tool and quite a literal device. Um, but they 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 kind of introduce these concepts that are, when you come across them, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. So a, a good example is um, time, how we mm-hmm. construct the idea of time. Yeah. Time borrows this metaphor of money because time is a really abstract concept mm. and it's not something that we can really understand. So what do we do? We latch all the entailments from metaphors of money onto time so you spend time with people and um you run out of time well time isn't a tangible thing is it um absolutely phenomenal book and Love it. um yeah well worth reading I, you know I, I guess this is the linguist in me or like the person with that that kind of field of interest gushing about something that i always come back to and find something again and again and again but um i think there's something for everyone there it's brilliant mm. I, I think um, Alistair was looking down, ordering it as you spoke then. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I, I was talking about time today with some PGCE students about it being it's subjective. We have an emotional connection to it. That's how we understand time. Um, and I have nice, in fact, have yeah. Oh, story as well. Links to story, doesn't it? We live our lives through storytelling, really. Absolutely. Um, right. Okay. I'm going to move. I'm going to jump on to a final question and then we've got a bit of a game to do with you. But my final question is, uh, if you were given a big pot of money to carry out any kind of um, study, piece of research within further education over the coming years, what might that be? What might be its right. focus? Oh, my days. Um First of all, I'd probably say thanks for the offer, but I'm not sure I'm, I'm best positioned and I can recommend some people that might be better off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. So, yeah, providing I could collaborate with some better minds than I, um, you know. So what 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 could we shape up? Um, what needs exploring? What needs better understanding? Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's going to be in the field of assessment. That's where my research has, has been kind of taking me prior suppose i'm really interested in um better understanding how we could assess the competency um in in ways that are perhaps more um realistic and meaningful um beyond beyond the prescribed methods required by qualifications and and study programs and whatnot so I'd really like to work with um, with a cohort of students. I mean, this I'm already thinking the ethics board's never going up with this, but you know. Um, oh well, we've got a fictional ethics board. They're totally. Oh God. Yeah. Sounds, sounds dodgy, Joe. But I'll go with it. So, um, no, well, I was. I think you know, 
people's views of assessment have changed because of teacher assess grades well I couldn't believe that was breaking as you know that was uh, I submitted my thesis or my viva was April 2020 so right at the height of the COVID uh, and whatnot and then all this tag stuff started breaking I was like oh my god this is what my research has been in and I felt almost um straightjacketed a bit because I, I I couldn't um I didn't have the kind of immediate solutions to all, all I had was you know we know what we're doing but trust us yeah and yeah. um, by and large and, and don't don't try and uh create a load of warped quality measures to um yeah anyway that I think mm. research into that okay. all right yeah. all right then um, you, you know, your wish is is granted there. Um, all right, we'll move on to a little game just to lighten things. Um, we've I've got six questions for you. Now, mm. at the end, depending on how well you do, now Alistair's going to be the judge of how well you've done. He's going to keep score and he's going to decide if you're worthy of a prize at the end. You will be able to choose a prize at the end if you do, you know, win one. And you have a choice between a beverage of your choice or a 15-minute e-scooter hire Along oh. the prom of Seaburn in the northeast. What okay. a prospect. <laughs> right. You know, depending on how well you do as well. We you know. Um, okay. So here are the rules. <laughs> and this game is called Barking or Dagenham. All right. Now, okay. <laughs> um, if you believe a statement I share with you or a fact that I share with you is incorrect, it is false. You have to say barking, okay? Okay. If you think, in fact, it is true or correct, you have to say Dagenham. Okay. You cannot say true, false. You've got to say barking for... Incorrect. And Dagenham, Dagenham for... for correct. Okay. I'm with you. Ready? I think. You're ready? I'm ready. <laughs> uh, okay. Sarah Pascoe the comedian of TV fame and writer of Sex, Money, Power is famously from Barking and Dagenham. Uh, I'm going to say Barking. No, it's no, it's Dagenham. It's true. Oh. She is. Don't you know your local celebrity? Well, okay. no, I didn't know Sarah Pascoe. That's, that's good knowledge. Okay. Um, right. There's an area in Barkingham Dagenham somewhere, uh, known as Andrew's Corner. Okay. Now, it's actually the intersection of Valence Avenue and Beacon Tree Avenue, but it's known as Andrew's Corner because of a famous shop that once used to be there that sold ladies' undergarments. Is this true? I'm saying I'm allowed to say true or false. So is this actually a barking, a false piece fact, or is it a true fact? Um... I'm going to go Dagman. <laughs> oh, it's actually barking because it wasn't ladies' undergarments. It was a oh, furniture store. I, I, I did have a thing. It's like, is it going to be something that's not ladies? Yeah, okay, so... Um... <laughs> okay, right. I'll move you on to more comfortable ground now, maybe. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> uh, axiology is the branch of philosophy that considers the study of logic. Barking. That is correct, barking. Because actually it's the study of what? Values. Yes, okay. <sighs> Ooh, I, I was sweating there. 
Axiology, I'm like, oh, my days. <laughs> bonus point, bonus point there. Okay. The phrase barking mad originates from barking. Surely not barking. No, it's true. <laughs> you are kidding. What's your source on this, Joe? I've never heard this. It's amazing. Well, in fact, there are two possible uh, origins for it. One linking to the asylum that used to be, do you know, I know so much about where you live now, that used to be next to the Abbey, but the other, it relates to Margaret Thatcher. But, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll tell you about it in the future. Amazing. Anyway. <laughs> okay. The word philosophy is derived from two Greek words, the first being philo, meaning love, and the second, sophie, meaning wisdom. Uh, Dagnan. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Literally means love of wisdom. Okay. I, you can stop sweating. You're nearly there. You're nearly there. Um, you're, doing, you're doing well. Uh, question number six, it's your final question and is about Barking Abbey um, because I've mentioned it. Okay, so Barking, Ab Barking Abbey is most famous, I mean, globally, probably, but let's just say in the UK, for its former community of monks. Dagnum. Oh, God, I've done such a disservice to my... Uh, you to... really have. It was nuns. Nuns. Wow. Well. <laughs> oh, let's go to what? our judge. <laughs> this, this is a challenge, Joe. I don't know where you feel on this, because although he got fewer than half the points, he did get the bonus point. In oh, there. well, that's worth extra, I think. So, Alex, so that would put us somewhere. I, I don't deserve any prize. I mean, I'll, I'll absolve you of any kind of obligation. Uh, I've, I've done that. I mean, I've worked it. I was talking up on it. Worked there for eight years. I love the place, love the people, love the learners. I don't know anything about the blooming place. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Other than, you know, Joe's esoteric questioning aside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's just a bit of fun. Well, I think you still deserve a prize for, you know, putting your agreements with let us put you through that. So you can choose between a beverage or an e-scooter hire. It's the scooter, providing that that there can be a beverage beforehand that I'll, you know. Yeah, I'll, we, yeah. We'll, we'll make it so. We will make it Fantastic. So. Um, look, thank you. Well, look, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, folks. Um, yeah, delighted okay. to, uh, to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank and you. goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye. You have been listening to the FE Research Podcast, a Sheep Hill Studio production. Thanks for listening, and we hope you can join us again soon.